Well, good morning, Community of Grace Lutheran Church. Well, it's good to be here. It's good to be back. I was gone. You may or may not have noticed that I was gone for a few weeks this summer. Uh, we had a baby. Yeah. I did barely any of that work. So, uh, yeah, my wife had a baby, and it's awesome. Um, he is healthy, and he is beautiful, and I would, I would love to show you a picture. However, uh, we do not put any pictures or names of our kids online. So if you want to email me, I will be glad to give you information. And it's weird, right? It just seems like, really, you don't put anything of your kids, not even on the live stream? That's, that's a little uh, strange. But just think, 10 years ago, if you would just put your information of your kids on the internet, people would be like, what are you doing? That's weird. But the things have changed, and we live in a different culture, and I call it the default culture as far as uh, the internet goes. We just assume, right, like everything goes online. Why not? That's our default mode, right? And when you're in a default uh, mode of operating in culture, that means that you don't opt in. You can only ever opt out. A couple examples of this, if you are growing up in Minnesota and you are by default a fan of the Twins or the Vikings, even though they don't win championships, or... Or if you're from Wisconsin, you grow up smelling like beer and cheese. And that's just how it is. That is just, and we all love both of those things. Uh, but that is the default culture. And you don't really question it. It's just how it is. And it's fine. Well, the way that we uh, break out of default culture is to opt out. And when we do that, we surprise people. And we've been going into this book called Surprise the World by Michael Frost. And it's subtitled The Five Habits of highly missional people. And I really love the, he basically gives us five habits that we can practice. And when we practice habits, we are able to bring Jesus to the world in truly surprising ways. Now, Pastor Darren did an excellent job going over a summary of what we already talked about over the last few weeks. So if you want to be caught up, check out last week's sermon on learn and unlearn. Um, but those five habits here quickly are to bless three people a week, to eat with three people a week, to listen to the Holy Spirit, to learn Christ, not just learn about Christ, but to learn Christ. And then today we'll be talking about being sent. We are sent ones. And what it means to be sent, what I thought at first was like a go door-to-door -door evangelism. Is that what being sent is? But the way he describes it is different. It's alerting people to God's kingdom reign here and now. What is God doing in the here and now, and what does that look like? Um, some ways we can do that is, let's say you're talking to a friend, and they're like, oh, a job just opened up for me out of nowhere, out of the blue. It must be the universe. And you're like, actually, maybe God's got something for you in that. Uh, that could be more than just space and time. Uh, or let's say there's a relationship or a friendship, and like a door, it might be closing there, or another one might be opening up. It's, it's listening for the Holy Spirit and saying like, okay, God, what are you doing in that? And then being able to share that with other people. It's a very different type of awareness of what's happening. So the habit that the author suggests for becoming aware of these things is journaling. That's the habit where we cultivate an awareness of what God's doing. And it's, if your life is anything like mine, it's just fast-paced from morning till night. And when there's a newborn in the house, sometimes it's in the middle of the night, and there's just no downtime. You get up, you race to the end of the day, and then you slam your head on the pillow, pop back up, and do it again. I don't know that has changed for a lot of us during the era of COVID. It just looks different, but we're still slammed. 
So when we stop to pause and journal and reflect, we can ask questions of God. How are my craftsmanship, my care, and my commerce helping to reflect the kingdom? How are the things that I make, the things, the people that I care for, and the things that I buy, how are they helping to reflect uh, God's kingdom? There are small things that we can look for when we reflect on those things, and those, those small things, I, you know, they, they add up to big things, but small things, like we can look for joy and kindness and hope. It doesn't always have to be something monumental, uh, but today we're going to look at some things that Jesus addresses that are on a lot larger scale, and we're going to check that out in Luke chapter 4. So, Jesus in Luke's narrative in chapter 4, he's just uh, finished overcoming Satan's temptations, responding with Scripture, Satan leaves, and then Jesus returns to Galilee. This starts in 14, uh, and we're going to read through 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind." to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And everybody went, Yeah! And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And isn't that Joseph's boy? And yes, it was. And Jesus said to them, shifting the tone pretty quickly, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah wasn't sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon, way out there. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of those Israelites was claimed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. That's a crazy story. That's, that's wild. Jesus goes from, like, the favored son in town to somebody that they all of a sudden are trying to kill. And what happened in there that made such a big shift? 
Well, let's take a look at the story. We're just going to read it again, and I'm going to make some remarks. So Jesus came back to Galilee. He had already been doing some ministry out and about, and when he came back to his hometown, uh, he was obviously thinking that some people might expect that, and maybe he'd heard some chatter about that. But he went to Nazareth. He was on the Sabbath day, went into the synagogue, as was his custom. So if anybody's like, I want to be like Jesus, but I don't need to go to church every Sunday, and you're like, Jesus was at Sabbath synagogue every Sunday, so figure that out. Uh, Sabbath. I'm going to say that whole thing again. Jesus went to the synagogue every Sabbath, weekly. So if you want to be like Jesus, check that out. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And whether this was something that he decided, like, okay, I'm going to pick this out, or whether it was kind of like a lectionary situation, we don't know. Uh, Scholars just don't know. But regardless, he opens up to this passage. And I'm going to read this one again It's in, in its entirety. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, he stops short of talking about God's vengeance, which is also in the Isaiah passage, and Pastor Aaron asked, Dan, why do you think he did that? I was like, I don't know. Uh, The best I could come up with was actually what uh, some scholars agree with, which is Jesus, in his prophetic proclamation here, And he sees himself as a prophet here because he talks about no prophet being appreciated in their or accepted in their hometown. And then he also compares himself to Elijah and Elisha. So, in his prophetic proclamation here, he isn't saying uh, that this is the time for God's vengeance, but rather he is proclaiming this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is good news. This is a great time. God's doing all these things. He rolled up the scroll, gave it to the attendant, sat down, and he started by telling people that good news. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Everybody's like, yay, that is good news. And then he continues, and he basically says, you're going to want me to do those things here, Um, but I'm going to tell you this, no prophet is accepted in his hometown And in Elijah's time, there were lots of people who needed something in Israel, but God sent Elijah out there to Sidon. And there were, when Elisha was around, there were a lot of lepers in Israel, but God didn't send Elisha to heal the lepers here, but way out there to the Syrian. And that made everybody mad. And they weren't, I don't know why they were mad to some degree, because it's still good news. It's just not good news for them, but if it's good news for somebody else, shouldn't it still be good news? If the good news isn't good news for you, it's, it still should be good news. And right now, I was trying to relate this to our current cultural climate and say, like, what does this even look like? You know, a lot of people being upset that a group of people who aren't them are being uh, freed, and if they're oppressed, they, they're being less oppressed, and if they're poor, they're trying to get out of being poor, and people are upset about it, and I don't know why, and I was like, oh, the Black Lives Matter movement. This is what's happening today, that there are people who have been historically oppressed, who have been historically and systemically put into a situation at which they're at a disadvantage, and now that there's an opportunity for freedom, for release, uh, to be able to see and call things as they are, people are mad about that. So we're going to wrestle with this today. 
Um, and some would call it the Black Lives Matter issue, and I don't think it's an issue, because when you call it an issue, it becomes political. And this, the way I see it, it's not political. As soon as you start talking about people who are oppressed, poor, imprisoned, uh, that's not a political issue. That becomes a Jesus issue. And that's exactly what he's speaking to here today. His word speaks then, it's speaking now, so let's see uh, what this has to say to us. And I have to start by saying that God is doing this work in me. That's where, uh, for me, this is coming out of, um, because two years ago, I, a year ago, four months ago, I wouldn't have been able to give this. A month ago, I wouldn't have been able to preach. <laughs> just like, seriously, it just, it wouldn't have looked like this. Uh, but God is doing something in my heart, and this thing, this justice movement, um, it has to be more than a trend in my heart. This isn't just something I want to pop up and blow by and be like, man, remember that time when that happened? But I want to be indelibly marked with God's grace, love, mercy, and justice from this point forward. And this is the opportunity we have for Jesus to confront us with this and an opportunity for us to allow the Holy Spirit to dig in and uproot some of the nasty stuff that might be there or might just be preventing us from caring, which is its own issue. Because we're reading a, a narrative, a story, we see Jesus in a story, uh, we get to look at it like a story, and we get to just look at different characters in the story and say, like, hey, who am I in this story? That's a nice, easy way to look at this. So we're going to do that. Let's break it down a little bit. Uh, first, uh, let's start with Jesus. You're not Jesus. Moving on. <laughs> We've got the people in the synagogue who are hearing Jesus teach, and those are people who are uh, a lot of them probably just living everyday lives, kind of like we're living everyday lives. Uh, there are people who are taking care of their families. There are some people, I'm sure, who are working towards justice and, and doing things and trying to move the kingdom of God forward in really strong ways. Other ones just had babies and are trying to get by, and it's just normal people. Um, but overall, as, as a people, they're waiting for salvation. The Jewish people were waiting for their Messiah. They were waiting for the kingdom to come. Some of it probably waited with more expectation, and some were probably like, yeah, maybe that'll come someday. Who knows? Um, and that's probably not a whole lot different than us as we wait for salvation, for Jesus to return again. Um, though there may be some who wanted political salvation, who wanted the Messiah to come as a strong king and to change the system so that they could be saved is that you? Are you in that situation? We have uh, another group, and Jesus talks about this group, so they have to exist. He speaks about the oppressed, the imprisoned, the blind, and the poor. If they weren't there, he wouldn't have talked about them. And the same is true today. These people still exist. There are still oppressed people and ignored people and imprisoned people. And just because we don't see them doesn't mean they're not there. And just because we don't share their struggles doesn't mean that those struggles aren't real. Are we these people? In one sense, yes. And Pastor Darren uh, did a great job talking me through some of this uh, this week, and I'm going to butcher all of his words right now. <laughs> but he essentially said, we are all the oppressed and imprisoned and poor, because without, for, if not for the grace of God, we are nothing. And we are poor, miserable sinners in need of salvation. And we are poor and destitute spiritually, and there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. 
but for the grace of God. And that's where we find our hope in Jesus Christ, that there is salvation there. So in one sense, yes, but in another sense, we're not. We're not. We're not being persecuted. I'm not scared somebody's going to break through the door here and do anything, do, uh, cause us harm because we're here. Um, if you're watching this, you probably have electricity. You probably woke up somewhere and you've eaten. You're not poor. Uh, if you are, call the church. Let us know. Um, but the, this, this isn't us. We're not the oppressed, uh, imprisoned, blind, and poor. Uh, but Jesus does proclaim good news to these people, and the danger of it is that we have reduced the good news to spiritual salvation, that that's all it is. That, uh, and this is kind of the American evangelical history. It's brought us here in this moment where we just have become more Greek than Jewish in our thinking, where we split things apart, and we've separated spiritual salvation from uh, the kingdom of God that's built on the earth and actually does things for people in the present. These aren't separate. In Jewish thought, these would have been together. They're never separate. We're not being saved for heaven someday. God is building a kingdom here and now, and that's what Jesus is proclaiming. It's a here and now thing. You're not minimizing one to maximize the other. They're both together, and that's when we know that it's happening because they're both happening. So that's good news. It's good news. People are eating and going to be like with Jesus forever. That's great news. Uh, And I heard somebody say, and I'll say it here again, if your version of the good news of Jesus, if your version of the gospel is not good news to the poor, the oppressed, the imprisoned, the blind, it's not the good news of Jesus. It might be a small part of it, but it's certainly not the whole thing. So as we look at that and as we are confronted by that, We have to ask ourselves the opposite. If there are oppressed, imprisoned, blind, and poor, are we the oppressors or the imprisoners or the wealthy or the silent? Is that us? And there's been a word that's been thrown around, which is uh, complicit. Are we complicit in racism? And sounds like yes. It's hard to say. It's really hard to say. I struggle saying that because that means it's me. That means I am complicit in racism. Uh, But I think Jesus is confronting us with that today. Because when he told the people in his story, like, hey, uh, God's doing something out there and everybody were mad, uh, that shows that something in them was not right. They had the law, but they didn't have the love. If I'm not willing to admit and at the very least, ask God, am I a part of this? And then after asking God, because I might just be asking myself, but just to make sure, if I ask the oppressed, the imprisoned, and the poor, am I a part of this? The response of all those together will give me a real idea of what my map looks like and what it should look like. Our sermon is off the map the map that we have in front of any single one of us, of me, of you, is an individualized map that we have created with our experiences, with our stories, with our belief system. Uh, that's our map. Well, there, there's a different map, and it's God's map, and it's the map of the way that things should be. And 
generally what will happen is we take God's map and we overlay our map on top of it. And we say, well, I see God's map and this is the way it should be. Um, but if we were to take God's map and overlay it on our map uh, and check out the differences in topography and let his perspective of how things are, his view of how he is making them to be today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, how he has made them to be, if we were to see that, I think we'd be confronted that we don't have the right map. But the good news that I see is that if I were trying to make God's map from my map all by myself, uh, that's hopeless. That's not the good news. That's terrible news. Uh, The good news is that God's already doing it, and the Holy Spirit is doing the heavy lifting. And the good news is that I can participate with God in that work, and that's the calling of a sent one. If we are sent, we are called to help build that kingdom and to bring that kingdom into wherever we are. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. And how we can figure out, like, okay, so, but what part of it? Because I can't change the whole thing. I can't. I just, I literally can't. And I don't have to because, again, person number one, I am not Jesus. That's awesome. That's good news. Jesus does that. But how do we do it? And I love how the five habits, like, we just throw them in reverse, and we've got a plan. We uh, are journaling to wrestle with this stuff with God and say, God, where do you want to see your kingdom built in the world? And we compare our notes with learning Christ. And we unlearn ourselves when we become more like Jesus. And then we listen. Like, okay, so now that I see where the areas are, Jesus, how do you want to speak to this? Holy Spirit, move and speak to me here. And then we talk about that. We eat with people. And we eat with people from our church and from not our church. And we talk about, like, this is what God's doing in me. And this is, this is how that's looking. And from all those, we start to get an idea of how we bless the world. Like, oh, I can, I can bless out of that. God's doing something in me, and I can now bless people out of how he is shaping me and form me. And that is how we surprise the world. That's the surprise, that we're blessing the world, that we're loving people. Because the world is not surprised when the church doesn't do anything. I hate to say it, but to call it how it is. I was in Minneapolis, and I went to the YWCA, and uh, I said, well, I was like assuming it stood for Young Women's Christian Association, but like also didn't think it did. So I went up to the desk and I was like, hey, what's the deal? What's the name? And the um, guy was super gracious and fun to talk to. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it used to be the Young Women's Christian Association. Um, we changed the name. Now it's officially just YWCA. It kept the branding. And the reason that we split away was because the organization was really into like social justice and doing good things in the world, so we thought it would be best to step away from the church to do that. Ah! Oh! It's terrible. It's terrible. But that's what happens. That's what the world expects. So in order to do this a different way, we remember our default culture, the way things are. We have to choose to opt out of default culture. We have to break out of what is and do something different. And I'm using the we word a lot, um, but really I should be more uh, real about it. It's not a we thing. This isn't a program that the church is putting together. We all get to participate in our own way, but this is a you thing. This is a me thing. 
How is God directing you in this? Because it's going to look different for every person. But I think it's good news. I do. I do think it's good news. And I, I called this message, The Kingdom is Where? And I don't have a super strong answer for that. Because Jesus proclaims, you know, the kingdom is here. And sometimes we don't, we don't see that. But I think the opportunity here, the kingdom is where? Well, the kingdom is where you are. The kingdom is where I am. There's an opportunity there because the Holy Spirit is working through us. And our hope, and my hope, is that we will bring grace into every corner of our community. And when we do that, rather than tearing the kingdom down that God is trying to build up, instead of putting our map over his map, we're going to put his map right on top and do the best we can to make that happen. Does that sound like good news? Sound like a good project? <laughs> Something to work towards? Well, I'm going to invite Noelle up, and she is going to uh, pray for us to head in that direction, and also lead us in a song. And you proclaim the good news to us, Lord. But sometimes we put our good news before yours. Sometimes we see what we want to see and what you've done, Lord, and I pray that instead you move and you give us your heart for people, Lord, so that we don't have to wonder, so that we don't have to look for you in the chaos, Lord, but rather that every person we encounter would see you in us. Because you are so worth seeing. Lord Jesus, we know that we aren't perfect, that we screw things up, that sometimes we put our kingdom before yours. So instead, Lord, show us your kingdom, show us your heart, give us your heart so that we can seek your kingdom, that we can move your kingdom forward first. It is in your precious name we pray. Amen.